This evening's Dharma talk is titled Ego Rhetoric. I want to talk a little bit about all the things that our self-centeredness does to uh, keep us from finding out that it is unreal. Ego is unreal. It's a charlatan. It's masquerading. It's pretending to be something. And it will do anything that it can to keep you from discovering that. And why is that? Fear. Seems to be the nature of consciousness on some level, in some place, at some time, where things start to turn in instead of go out, where they start to hide out. And uh, my teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, used the metaphor of a cocoon, like a hiding in a cocoon. And the rhetoric, or argument, or descriptions and so on, uh, that you'll recognize. It's like, well, I'm never going to get this right. Well, this won't work for me. I need something else. I'm wrong. They're wrong. Any kind of blaming this way, blaming this way, or the other one that's more difficult to see that I talk about all the time is, what problem? There's no problem. Everything is fine. <coughs> so it seems to be necessary if, in fact, you have any interest in taking a look at this and finding out what is actually the truth. Because you can live this whole life uh, as long as nothing horrible happens, which is unlikely. Usually something horrible happens eventually. It will be your own demise. It will be the, the ending of someone close to you. It could be. That would be terrible. But you could probably get away with living in kind of a okay state. Things are okay. Things aren't too bad. Have a good job. Good relationship. Get to fish a lot. Smoke cigars. Well, I had to quit that because, you know, it will give you, what? It will give you bad breath. Yeah, especially if you smoke King Edward. So a certain number of people want to find out more about this, want to go deeper into this. Not just some kind of a belief system where we believe in something and, okay, that's taken care of. Now I can just live my life and I'm totally protected. Uh, perhaps you're protected. But the rhetoric of our ego, even for people who meditate, Talk to people who meditate a lot. If you're not a meditator yourself, if you talk to someone who meditates quite a bit, you'll even find that with them, there's quite often some kind of a voice in the background saying, comp, uh, commenting on everything that's going on. It's relentless. Thoughts come, thoughts go. I shouldn't be thinking that. I should. I have to stop thinking about that. I can't say that anymore. On and on and on. And what do we do? We listen. And then we do something else as we add comments onto that. Something comes up, and rather than just letting it be what it is, it comes, it turns around, it goes this way, it goes that way, points a few fingers, and then it goes away. Do nothing with it. If you do something with it, then you're getting trapped in that circular argument uh, that I'm calling ego's rhetoric, the self-centeredness of ego. You know, it's not that it's something wrong, not something you have to correct. From this point of view here, I say I, I trust you, respect you to do whatever you want with your life. I don't really have a lot of propaganda. This is about the closest I get to it. I sit down for an hour, a couple times a week, and say, this is how it looks here. The rest of the time, people are telling me how it looks over there. So I tend to listen a lot. I even listen to my wife, don't I? Quite a bit. Remember that one time I listened? <laughs> Actually, I really do depend quite a bit on everybody to, to help me. Because I think uh, <clears throat> human life is a very much a mutual situation of uh, there's three things I like to talk about. Three C's. I'll start with here. Communication, cooperation, collaboration. Communication. You, you need to, before you go in to try to 
collaborate or even cooperate, you have to communicate. You have to talk and, and, try, and try to find out what the person is saying is, is that, am I hearing you say this? No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. Well, that's what I just said. No, you didn't. You didn't say that. Well, I did too. See how easy it is to, I'm sure you all have your own stories about this. It can be, it can be very difficult to even communicate, <coughs> communicate with somebody you're in a relationship with that you love and you respect and everything, but sometimes that communication can just go like that. And it's dependent on so many things. In Buddhism, we call this dependent origination. That there is no, there's no one thing that causes one other thing. There's a billion things that cause another billion things. You can't, you can't trace it down. We try to do that. The court system is always looking for evidence and tracking it down and then blaming somebody and then punishing them. It's an incredibly primitive way of looking. We're, there's a few human beings on the earth that are pretty clear and sophisticated. And then there's a, a few human beings who are completely out of their minds, insane, and want to control you and actually can justify it, why they need to do that. There might be more of those around than we care to think about. But what I'm saying here is not so much about joining my party or any movement. I'm saying train your mind. How do you do that? Sit down. You don't have to be a Buddhist. You don't have to even do it this instruction exactly this way. It probably should become pretty close to it, but it wouldn't have to be identical. Sit down, hold still, find out who you are. If you're moving even the slightest bit, this way, this way, this way, or just any kind of, just thumping your fingers like this, actually stops the, the awareness, the, the energy of awareness goes into that, even though you don't know it. How do I know that? I don't know it. He's heard me say it hundreds of times. I don't know it in the conventional sense. I know it in a sense that I, I don't even know how to say it to you. The only thing I'm saying, recommending you do based on doing this kind of work for a long, long time. Find out who you are. Would you like to stop suffering? Would you like to stop causing others around you from suffering? Would you like to have a, a relatively balanced and uh, sane life? Then you're going to have to look at what? Anybody want to volunteer? If you want to be sane, what would you have to look at in order to be sane? You have to look at your own craziness, your own insanity. My friends, that is really hard to do because the ego, the rhetoric of ego is, well, this sucks. I'm not going to do this. Why would I do this? This feels like crap. This can't be the right way to meditate. That's why it's important to have a teacher so that he, she, or they can support you and say, yes, it is. Keep going. And then if you give that person the benefit of the doubt, if you trust them, then you might say, well, this looks terrible to me, but I think I'm going to do what the guy says and see how that. When I met my teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, in 1973, uh, he scared the daylights out of me because I realized I was probably not going to get out of this without looking at aspects of myself that I did not want to look at. And that's what happened. And my way of doing this, because I knew I know what a lazy weakling I was, I knew I was going to have to make a really strong commitment because I could see ahead. I had a little bit of uh, intelligence going. I could see that this is really going to be hard. Because I know how I was treated when I was raised. I know what kind of craziness I dealt with in the first uh, 30, 32 years of my life. This is not going to be easy. So I just uh, made a commitment to it. And he helped me with that. And I spent a lot of time looking at my own insanity. <clears throat> and when I talk about insanity, I'm just talking about an internal kind of warfare that makes no, no sense. 
an eternal kind of fighting, or sometimes you, you may have noticed that sometimes in your mind everything is fine. You just picked up some coffee, you're getting ready to go into work, and, and you just feel terrible. Or maybe you wake up in the morning, you get up, you don't even get out of bed yet, and already, for no reason, you feel <coughs> sad or depressed or some other word you might append to that. <clears throat> it seems to be necessary to, to look, find out who you are, to actually, you know, it's called self-knowledge. If you, if you actually begin to so, uh, come to a point where you actually do understand who this is, and you understand who that is, this is called wisdom, and it is not information. There are little aspects of it that are informative and have a kind of a, you know, a word balloon around them, but not much. So this is a, excuse me, this is, I think it's very important. On the other hand, as I said a few moments ago, it's up to you. I can't, I can't do it for you. I can't say, here is the wisdom you need, although sometimes it's portrayed that way, especially in uh, the Tibetan tradition. <clears throat> in the Indian tradition, there's something called Shaktipat, where the, the guru actually just hits you on top of the head, and suddenly your, 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 uh, um, your mind drops away, and it's just awareness. It doesn't last, if it even happens. <clears throat> Never happened to me. So the rhetoric of ego is not to be believed, not to be disbelieved, and not to be ignored. Those are the three. In Buddhism, that's a traditional teaching called the three poisons. Passion looks like this. Aggression is like that. And ignorance is like that. And then there's all kinds of nuance. Passion sometimes can just, a little bit of grasping that's going on isn't like this. It's just a little bit of, as soon as something happens, instead of just being with what arises, and what goes this way and that way and then leaves, is as soon as it comes up, we immediately start adding little stories to it. This is called passion. We aren't willing to be with whatever is there. We have to reinterpret it. You might as well be taking your life uh, and putting uh, um, uh, a, a tarpaulin over it. You might as well be pulling a shower curtain up in front of you so you don't have any intense experiences. You'll walk around with, uh, as they say, rose-colored glasses on. So turning it the other way around, I'm not saying you need to go and rub your nose in the suffering, and you know, because you've got to have, because that was a misunderstanding in ancient times that people on the spiritual path, even the Buddha, the, the historical Buddha, as the story goes, felt like at some point with he and his, uh, his homies, they were hanging out trying to figure out how to see the truth. And they, and here again, as the story goes, I don't know, I'm kind of making this up myself, as I often do. I was hanging out saying, you think I'm not getting anywhere? This is not working. Say, yeah, I'm not. I've been. What have you been doing? Says, well, I've been saying mantras. I've been visualizing my chakras. I've been, you know. Let's just go without eating for a while. See how that works. There's ancient the sculptures of the Buddha who actually stopped eating for long periods of time. His ribs are all showing in the sculptures. And then he, so that wasn't working either. He just felt like crap. So he, uh, as the story goes, he had a glass of milk, probably chocolate. <laughs> made himself comfortable, sat down on I don't know, a cushion or something, and then resolved to not get up off that cushion until he saw the truth. It's called transcendental stubbornness. He wasn't going to get up until he saw the truth. And of course, he'd had quite a number of years of practice before then. And sure enough, he saw the truth. He saw that every he awoke, he awoke to his fundamental nature. And at the same time he did that, everywhere he looked, he saw himself, because the fundamental nature is not separate. And if you awake to who you are, everywhere you look, you'll see yourself. 
in the form of all kinds of different beings coming and going and coming and going. And you'll see some are really upset with you and are after you and giving you a hard time. And others are really sweet and want to hug you and kiss you and get your money. <laughs> Where's I going with that? <laughs> so the idea is to, for us, uh, and the Buddha discovered this after a while, that if he just sat down and looked at what, what was happening and just what was arising, what was falling, what was, it took him years to get to this point of going through all kinds of, as they call them, austerities, going without food, sitting on broken pop bottles or whatever he was doing. And eventually, by just, even very simple, just this, what is this? I often say, I'm saying now, why questions are circular. You may get an answer, but it'll lead to something else and something else. But a what question, everything stops in front of you. And probably the reason that ego does not like that or self-centeredness, because the rhetoric that comes back, well, this isn't getting anywhere. Nothing's happening. What is that expression used to do like that? Yeah. So what I'm saying as a Dharma teacher, as a, an old man, as somebody who's done this for a long time, saying, I'll tell you exactly how to meditate. You can do this for the next, uh, mm, we don't really have any elderly people here. I don't want to have somebody, somebody meditate till they're dead. Give it, give it uh, you're all young, give it 10 years. I'll tell you what, to give it easy. We'll make a deal. Five years. Do this for five years. Sit down, hold still, sit sit so you're symmetrical. It could be this way or this way. Every, all the senses are open, eyes are open. Sit in front of a wall, or if, you, if that's claustrophobic, then sit in front of a, uh, a carpeting, or look at the back of your couch, or look at your television, just turn it off. I had a dream once where Trump burned with Jay many years ago. He was still alive then, where he, I'm meditating, and I'm looking at my television, but I have it on. I'm probably watching Tom and Jerry cartoons. And then he walks up to me and leans down in front of me and goes, click. That's in the days when they had the actual click button dial. Turned it off. I didn't wake up. <laughs> <laughs> Little Buddhist humor there. So give it five years. What have you got to lose? There's no, nobody's charging you anything. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a therapist. Not that they aren't helpful sometimes. It could be. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you don't need to meditate. Maybe maybe you're, whatever else you're doing is work. Maybe yoga will do it. I'm just saying that if you sit down, hold still, watch what moves, don't add, don't divide, don't subtract, do no math at all. Don't say why. Don't say anything. If you have to ask a question, say what? What is this? What What is, what is in front of me? And the answer will come back, a wall or a rug. Or maybe after a while, maybe the third or fourth year, nothing will come back. And can I guarantee anything? I wouldn't cheat you out of your own intelligence by guaranteeing you anything. This is not about um, merchandising. This is about impermanence. Nothing lasts. We don't last. If you understand what that is, that's in incredibly good news. If you don't understand what that is, you'll try to forget it because you think it's the end of something. Let me help you. What has not begun cannot end. Something has to begin to end. Who you actually are has never begun. You've been jumping in and out of bodies for billions, if not trillions of years. And here we are again. Don't you recognize me? I've been talking to you about this forever. And no, I don't believe in reincarnation. Nor do I disbelieve in it. If you have questions, I'd be happy to endeavor to confuse you more. Yes? Do you feel like you know who you Do I feel like I know who I am? Yes. Want to hear more? Yeah, do you feel like you got... No, just ask me a straight question. Ask me who I am. Who are you? Not separate. Not separate from you. That's who I am. Not separate. Fundamentally, there's no separate being here. 
There was, or at least I thought there was, there was, but there's there isn't one anymore. <clears throat> More? So we are all one. I didn't say that. That's going too far. <laughs> I didn't, that didn't work. I'll do that. And we're not all one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we got a deal. Five years, right? <laughs> and so what am I saying here? All I'm saying is, if you're open to it, I'm not saying you should walk out and say, well, I'm not going to do that, and we, you know, that there's something wrong with that. You should do whatever, you should trust your mind and do whatever you, whatever you think you should do, but look really closely at it. And endeavor to look and see how much of the language that's coming, uh, information that is coming out of our thought patterns is just rhetoric about our life. It's just something to keep the, the, the self-centeredness going. If there's no fuel going into the self-centeredness, then it is seen for what it is. And what is it? Not separate from anything else. To realize that is, uh, uh, is liberation. And what are you liberated from? You're liberated from fear. Let's start with that. You're liberated from hope. That's something, there's a metaphor that, the, uh, that what happens to uh, wis the wisdom mind is it is, uh, it is attacked by the bandits of hope and fear. The wisdom mind just sees clearly, just receives what is happening. Yes, sir? What is attachment? Uh, it's uh, an active form of ignorance. Train your mind so you can see fairly, um, very clearly that you're, what you're grasping onto, you actually aren't even separate from. So there isn't any reason to grasp anything. So if you grasp onto something, you're establishing some kind of separation from it. That's why you're hanging on to it. We think we need to get love. You don't have to get love. Just realize what this is without being the least bit trippy about it. You are love. It just doesn't show up the way you thought it was going to. Not separate. With the help of I shook my finger at you. Not separate. <laughs> How do you do that? Continue to look at the way you grasp. Continue to look at the way you hang on to things, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, grasp, hang on to. Or the way we get so tired of hanging on that we get mad and we become aggressive, we throw it away, we want to kill it, we want to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Kozan from Traverse City asks, who is the you that has been jumping in and out of bodies besides not separate? Yeah, well, that's true. But you have to realize it. You can't just have an idea about someone jumping in about, I don't know. Actually, nothing happens. It's an illusion. But you have to realize that. And if, if and I need to talk about it a certain way, otherwise I wouldn't have anything to say. I would just sit up here and look at you. And you would say, so? And I would go, yep. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to answer a question? Could you answer a question more clearly? You know, the thing that is so difficult for us is when we start to work with this, intellectually, we kind of start to get it. Yeah, okay, we see that night doesn't mean anything without day. There's duality. Good doesn't mean anything without bad. There's another duality. The other one is, uh, in our tradition, is Buddhas, or awakened beings, and sentient beings, or everyday confused humans, are not separate. They're not two different things. They're, they are two ways that the same thing manifests. Not separate. So we need to say something about it, so we say it in that way. Rip. What is that thing that's manifest? When? As Buddha and as... Not separate. It's ultimate reality. Buddha is a manifestation of ultimate reality as, a, as, as some kind of a, a human being to start with. I have to start somewhere, so we start with a little bit. This person is a teacher, this person's a student. 
but fundamentally, from the point of view of the student, it might look like the student's down here and the teacher knows something and they're up here. But from the point of view of the, the teacher, there's no separation. So they don't see the separation, but they have to work with the person where they're at in order to help them transcend that, that belief in something being separate or belief in something being true or untrue or unimportant. More, don't you? What's the difference between saying we're all one and we're not separate? Saying we're all one kind of wraps it up. It's like, okay, we're all one. And then we can leave that and say, well, we're all one. We can always refer back. That's like a nice, cozy concept. We're all one. But if we say you're not separate, then that kind of puts the whole thinking process on the spot. Because then we're, we can say we're all one, and there's a kind of idealism that comes up around that, that we can kind of buy into. But if we say we're not separate, the, the ego mind or the thinking process comes back and says, yes, we are. We're separate. You're over there. I'm over here. So there's, a, there's more tension happening there. And this is a traditional teaching is called uh, via negativa. Through the negative, it seems like we're able to point out more closely what is actually occurring, is to use a negative way. It's like the, the Buddhist uh, uh, teaching of emptiness, that everything is empty of what you think it is. Anybody, if you meet someone, you'll have ideas and opinions about them. As soon as, you, as, soon as they walk in the door, you can't hardly help but have something come up about them. It might be, they might look a little bit like a friend of yours or a little bit like someone you didn't care for too much, or who knows, all, all kinds of things will come up. But the, the way that that is sometimes talked about is anything you see that you have a thought about it, that that actual thing is empty of what you think it is, empty of what you think about it. And so over time, through practice, one begins to become more and more uh, aware of how there isn't anything else. In the Yogacara tradition, as we've talked about so many times, uh, coming out of the 3rd, 4th century, is uh, the idea that, the teaching that the observer, one who's observing or receiving the, the, uh, um, the appearance of something existing over there, and the very object that's over there, that, that the reality in that situation, if there is such a thing, is just the perception itself. Not, there is no observer. And there's nothing observed. We went through that in one of the book studies recently where you, uh, the old traditional uh, image or metaphor was the chariot. So you look at the wheel of the chariot. Is that, a, is that the chariot? No. That's, so you take all the parts. You can't find the chariot anywhere in there. It's just an accumulation of parts. And that may or may not be helpful. Yes, sir? What is the contrast between not separate and consciousness or collective consciousness? And collectives, consciousness? Well, consciousness in general. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I have a little bit of an idea where you're going, but to take, help me a little bit to see what, what is actually you're looking for as far as the response. I guess, is consciousness an aspect of ego, whereas not being separate would not be? Or what? Not separate would not be an aspect of ego. So not separate is a concept that, that points to uh, fundamental nature of the situation. There's no separation. Things are not all one, but they're just not separate because we have all these parts and all these pieces and everything. And it is said, and it uh, and this, this is a little bit of a, of a uh, big hump to get over, is that everything is made of consciousness. Or everything is consciousness. It's not like uh, consciousness made things. We're conscious and then we start making things. That, uh, that, the, uh, that things are consciousness. Or have I got that backwards? Yes. What did you mean when you said this is a big hump to get over? 
it might be a, a big thing to get over to to realize that that what you're looking at is not a separate thing and the one who your uh, your imputation of who you are me i'm a buddhist monk i'm an old man all of those things descriptions or anything else i might think about there actually isn't any observer here there's an observing is happening but there's no observer there's there's a consciousness of something happening but there's no object more how can you look at those separations to see just practice to in order to see the way i was saying before the way we see the the become sane is to look at the insanity instead of going in and artificially trying to twist it and make it come out better which is quite often what medications do they have a problem and rather than going, let's go in and look and see what this, that's too slow. Let's just put some opiates on top of it. That'll seal it up nice and tight, and we can all make some money. And I'm not saying that people who do that aren't, don't have good intentions. They probably do, perhaps. Not a good idea. And I'm not trying to say you should stop your, your meds. Yes. So observing happens, but there is no observer. Yes. And is that because there is... No person, there's just brain, there's eyes, there's thoughts, kind of like the... Yeah, you're, you're, you're yes, like the chariot. Yeah, there's just uh, parts of things all getting together, uh, innumerable parts, and we, we consolidate that. The, the Buddhist description for that is the five skandhas, or the five heaps, which is form, which is a lot, a lot going on there, feeling, perception, this way, this way, uh, concept, or, or the names about it, and all those... Uh, conceptual things around the names of all these things, and then consciousness of the six sense fields and their objects. So it's a complicated thing that can be described fairly uh, simply, but there's no self and there's no person in there. When, but when those get together, then consciousness starts to show up and it attributes or imputes some kind of a me feeling. It starts when we're very young and where our parents are even telling us, give us a name and tell us what to do, what we should do, and be a good boy, be a good girl. Don't kick the cat. See, now, see what you did? The cat bit you. Shouldn't have kicked, kicked the cat. More? So, but it is a, but, you know, it, I think it has to be looked at for a while before, so that we actually start to go past just the attachment to the idea of the chariot or the idea of uh, parts. We have to go into that area, that no person's land, where we start to have less and less of a reference point. Really difficult to live all day. Just one day without a reference point. We're always thinking about something else, something else. My job, my, my uh, I got I to get to work, uh, what my girlfriend, boyfriend are doing, uh, what, what I'm going to, how am I going to get my car repaired, you know, and so on. We're always moving from one item to another. Yes. Questions are good. I like them. Yes, sir. What was, what were the five components? Like the form. Yeah. This one, form, feeling, perception. So form, there's basically two. There's form, and then there's all the consciousnesses. So but let's go form, and then feeling, and then perception, or eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and then concepts, or the thinking process about all those. We see something, we have a concept about it. It's a wall, it's a light, it's a window, it's a bird. And then, then the six, all those sense fields are at the other end of that. And my teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, uh, described that as, the six sense fields are like a needle that goes through the first four all the way back into form, and it happens uh, just immediately, and it happens over and over and over and over, and it gives us the feeling of being here and being present. Sitting practice of meditation, shikantaza, what the practice you were doing here this evening, uh, helps 
slowly move you back away from the attachment to those forms, to the attachment to the belief in those. It takes a while. But what happens is your, your allegiance slowly changes over time from being attached to believing this is true, believing that is false, or believing this is true, and disbelieving that, or pushing on this, or pulling, or going to war for, out of, we have uh, hope and fear, we hope we'll be safe, but we're, we're, we're fearful that we won't, and we start to buy into those emotions, and then the, 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 the five skandhas, the six sense fields, all start to cooperate and act as if there's somebody that needs defending or promoting, and there isn't, there isn't anyone. And so the sitting practice of meditation, slowly, as discovered by the Buddha, and there are other traditions that practice meditation and have different pro approaches, but the sitting practice of meditation, slowly, over time, starts looking at the, the, the wall of karma that is your life. You, you came here because of cause and effect, and all, it's been, uh, all that is really being said is, stop adding on to your karma. Just sit still and be genuine. Just be who you are. Whatever karma is coming your way, don't accept it, don't reject it, don't look away. Don't accept anything, don't reject anything, and don't look away from anything. All of those are very hard to do. But if you had to have the attitude of endeavoring to do that, then at least there's some kind of, of understanding about when you can't help but grasp, and you can't help but reject, and you can't help but shut down. At least there's a lot more, you're not living in a broom closet anymore of your concepts, your ideas, your beliefs, your hopes and your fears. You're in an open field. You might still have the same attachments, or, but there are a lot more clears, a lot more space around those attachments. Maybe you haven't been able to uh, take the fuel lines away from those, but have to begin somewhere. That's the path. Yes, David. What's the apparent solidity of the rhetoric or the stories? Uh, I think the apparent solidity comes from fear. We have us, we, you know, sometimes the, ex the extreme form of that is some kind of paranoia about something. I'm sure everyone in here knows a little bit about what paranoia is. You know, it's like an unreasonable belief that something is true. You have not even any proof of it. You have proof that you're not paranoid. It's true. It's something's actually happened. Somebody's chasing you with an axe. That's not paranoia. That's time to run the other way. Unless you're, who's that one guy? Thor. Huh? The, the Hulk? Hulk. Oh, Thor. Yeah. It's the guy with the hammer. Yeah. It's like, it looks like a, one of those, huh? Wim Hof. Wim Hof, yeah. <laughs> what a towering giant that guy is. Up in the, where is he up in the Alps? No. Isn't he up in the Alps yeah. in a big bathtub full of ice cubes? <laughs> no? Mount Everest. No. Okay, well, it's similar. We still have some time if you have questions. Yes. A question from Shane out in California. Shane. Uh, two questions, actually. Uh, first of all, do thoughts ever speak wisdom? And secondly, is wisdom spontaneous? So it's not that thoughts couldn't be aligned with that. There couldn't be there couldn't be thoughts that are coming out that are that have the have a, the space around them that is uh, understanding, the space around them that is compassion, the space around them that is uh, equilibrium or balance. But uh, there's not a lot of thought happening there. Some. If it's necessary, thought is always like a thought is like a tool. To wisdom, thought is a tool. There's no need to do anything. But if it's necessary to think about something, then one is ready to do it. But it's not it's not backed up by some kind of egotism or self centeredness or demand that, for instance, demand that you be a Buddhist or demand that you live this way or live that way or follow this path or that path. 
complete respect for everyone's path. If, if there's not respect for your life, then red, red flags should go up everywhere. Even if they say they're a Buddhist, I don't care. They need to respect you and not try to sell you anything. What was the other one? Uh, is wisdom spontaneous? Wisdom is spontaneous from the point of view of relative truth, but from the point of view of ultimate, ultimate truth, it doesn't do anything. There isn't any such thing as wisdom. Wisdom is a relative term to use to move the consciousness in such a way that we can eventually have a realization of who we are, which is not separate from anything. Life and death are somewhat beside the point when it comes to that. You know, where you're actually living in such a way that if your body drops, it's not going to, I'm not saying you wouldn't be in pain, perhaps. Somebody shot you or if you died of uh, an illness that was painful, of course, you have, as long as you have nerve endings, I don't care how enlightened you are, it's going to hurt. But to someone who, go ahead, but to someone who is living and understands what this is, when the body drops, uh, it's not too much going to change. Don't believe a word I say. Don't disbelieve it. Well, it might be better to disbelieve it, because at least disbelieving you're going, wait a minute. So that's better. He's skeptical. Yes? What's in the middle of belief and disbelief? Space. It's called, that's why Buddhism is called a middle way. Not too tight, not too loose. Just this. Just a complete open, no agenda. As, as uh, my teacher, Komanchino said, translating the Heart Sutra, falling apart, falling apart, falling apart, falling apart, falling apart, nothing to do. What was falling apart? Ego and its rhetoric, gone. No comment on anything. And if there is a comment on something, then the wisdom mind sees that that's uh, um, just untrue or extra. So it's not saying that if you were to become realized that you wouldn't have some kind of crazy thought patterns coming and going occasionally. But they, they, they couldn't find a, someone to be upset. They would go, it's like a, a, a house with no windows or doors. Yes. Question from Anne Maria in Illinois. Um, Anne-Marie? From Illinois, yes. Okay. She asks um, the question, what is this slash that? How do we answer that question beyond the word of the object? So I, I don't think that can be done. Uh, it could be done relatively, but then you're still trapped in the, in that, in the logistics of, of that kind of... Uh, you're still uh, trapped in the concepts. This is what, what uh, logicians or scholars do. They're... People who are born really, really smart. I was very lucky I wasn't born really, really smart. If I were, I'd be somewhere teaching something very profound and brilliant, probably at Harvard or someplace. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was born... <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I was born here at Battle Creek. My mother, my mother worked at Kellogg's and my father worked at Kellogg's, and I have no education at all. Not formal anyway. Not very much. They weren't teaching me what I wanted to study, so I quit. I was also lazy. What was the rest of that question? Did I, um, Anne-Marie? The question that arises, or what is this, uh, yes. what is that? How do we answer that question beyond the word of the object? I don't know, but without, I don't know if you can, without just making it more of a circular situation that could be, that would just lead in circles. Woodpecker? Yeah, his name is Brad. That's your landlord. That's your landlady. Yeah. It's your landbird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Further questions? We have a few minutes. If there are some questions about this, uh, please don't hesitate. Yes. 
Don't you? If we are in a situation where there's fear arising, yes. Um, for myself, I, I shut down on that, and I see that I'm shutting down, but I can't see the fear that's causing that. Is yes. there a way to see the fear behind the shutting down? I think seeing the shutting down is enough. The shutting down is a covering up of the fear, and so I wouldn't get too. I wouldn't get into too much strategy around it. The most important thing I can say to that is sit more, so that so that you're you're every time you sit, you could say you're you're increasing or prioritizing the the witnessing part of your of your consciousness. Just see it. Just see when when things arise, when fear arises, just see. Don't run away. Don't cover it up. Don't ignore it. Do nothing with it. Just feel the fear. Feel the texture of the fear. If, if you if you can't feel the texture of the fear, then you'll have some kind of a strategy to cover it up, up to and including actual drugs. To quite often, a lot of we all know people who there's so much difficulty, they don't know what to do, but just, well, I'll find something that'll make me feel better or, or that will cover that up. But of course, it doesn't last very long because there's a downside to everything. And the only downside that I know of to sitting meditation is uh, ego has a hard time with that, self-centeredness. This, uh, the rhetoric of the ego, uh, you can listen to it and listen to it. The more you realize that it's just rhetoric, it's just rhetoric. It's just a talk. We just talk to ourselves incessantly, trying to tell ourselves who we are, what we're doing, why we should be doing this, why we shouldn't be doing that. And what do I say? Just listen to it. Don't fight with it. Don't, don't try to stop doing it. Don't do nothing with it. So, sitting yes. Uh, Anne-Marie from Santa Fe has two questions. Another Anne-Marie. Yes. Her first one is, how do we take these teachings to the streets? And the second one, so that we are walking this Dharma talk? Uh, don't take it to the streets until you have to. Take it to the wall. <clears throat> Go, sit down. You know, Anne-Marie. <laughs> I'm telling you, I know she's in that box. Uh, take it to the wall. Go. Don't don't go out and teach, preach anything unless you have to. I wouldn't do this what I'm doing right now unless I absolutely have to had to do this. I spent many years studying this without teaching at all, as I quite often brag about. Yes. Why do you feel like you have to? Know? I don't know. I, I I can't help it. Uh, it. Just it just happens. I'm not really doing anything. I mean, somebody comes and says everybody's in there waiting for you. <laughs> I think he said that. If he didn't say that, I probably wouldn't come in here. And I'm not saying that to be silly. I'm just saying I really do function that way. Ask her. I live with her. She, I, I have no idea what I'm going to do later. There isn't, I mean, there's a later, of course, but not much of one. And so, uh, as far as uh, Anne Marie's question, I would just say don't don't take it. You can't you can't teach you can't take this to the streets. I mean, though, there's books written on it, uh, Dharma punks, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to any Dharma teachers anywhere. They should do whatever they think they should do, but. I'm the one you're listening to now, and I'm saying, don't take your unexamined anger out anywhere. It's very people have anger completely covered up and tucked away, and they they've been doing it for years. You go out into the onto the streets and start to deal with people who who are angry and are aggressive and think they're right and think they're this that or the other thing or behind whatever kind of in the streets as they say, not a good place to go. First, sit down, train your mind so that when you do get up and go out on the streets, which you probably will, you, you probably will do something other than just uh, sit on your tush. But if you don't find out who this is first, then you go out, and since you won't know who you are, you'll be insecure, you know, and then anybody can project onto you, anybody can accuse you, and since you're not sure, 
then you get you could get them and say you would, but you could get warlike, and and then you could meet somebody else who is looking for some scrapping also. And the next thing, then you've got more chaos and more. It's just amazing we haven't blown ourselves up already. So much chaos going on. So I would say, please, I'm asking you, I'm suggesting to you, train your mind. Don't go out in the streets. Don't do it. Now, if somebody comes to you and say, says, like uh, Anne Marie is a meditation teacher in, in Mexico, if somebody comes to her and says, uh, I want to learn to meditate, then of course, I teach them to meditate. But don't convert them to anything. Don't try to get them to be a monk or sew a raksu or join, join in a group or nothing. Just help them to train their mind, yes. Shane has another question. Yes, Shane. He asks, do thoughts show up in the sense fields or is it something else? Well, they show up in the mind. The mind, uh, uh, from the point of view of these teachings, is is uh, is like a sense organ, just like the eye senses light, texture, space, and is uh, in, and then is it is interpreted through the thinking process as to what this is, uh, through naming things and so on. And then so thoughts uh, uh, are in the consciousness, or it's been said that they're in the brain. Uh, probably not. I'm not saying that that doesn't. It's just like um, what you see is not in your eyeball. What you think is not in your brain. Just like you see something over there, and if you and you if you think something, then that's it's a very uh, uh, very unlimited when it comes to space. If you if you unless you're tied into your lockdown and your beliefs, you'll find that you can move your consciousness anywhere. So I'll count to three. Everybody put their consciousness, their awareness, on top of the roof. One, two, three. Everybody up there? All right. How is that? Not too bad. Windy. It is windy. Do that enough, and actually you'll end up up there without a body, of course. Well, you might have a body. You might have a body of a cardinal, because the cardinal will come by. Oh, let me finish this story first. The cardinal will come by and says, oh, another one of those humans that wants to fly. Let's get them. And they'll get a hold of your consciousness, put it inside of them, like a little helmet, and they'll fly up there. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> that the ego shows up for you when needed? Yes. Um, does ego rhetoric also show up? All of it. Yeah, you never can get enlightened. It's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't really be different than who you are. That's what's. That's why it's a, such a sneaky affair because you actually, you, the ego is not real, so you don't have to get rid of it. So it just kind of hangs around and says, "Well, uh, I'm not real, but nobody kicked me out, so I guess I'll hang around for a while." So yes, more about that would be good if you have the questions. Any further final questions? Very good. Thank you so much. I'd like to bring your attention to the donation boxes that we have in the hallway. <coughs> your financial support is greatly appreciated and needed. If you value the teacher and these teachings, please help us. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Bernard's way.